One of the joys we have uh, this week is that although lots of our people are traveling, we also have people traveling into us. And so this week we have uh, Craig and Ginger Cabanis, who come all the way from Texas. So from that great nation of Texas, yes. is that right? That's right. So it, instead of me introducing you, yeah. which I could do, but would you would you just come up and introduce yourself? I'll ask you a couple of questions. Oh, and sure. Is that all right? I'll yeah. spring this on you. Sure. There we go. So this is Craig. Uh, and... Tell us about who you are, your family, and what you do in Texas, other than, you know, be a cowboy. Right. Which is what we assume all Texans do. Yes, you do, yeah. Carry Um, shotguns. Yes. Um, Well, my wife, uh, Ginger, uh, is here with me, and we've been um, been over here for, it'll be three weeks by the time we go back, so we're kind of on holiday here. And we have four kids. Um, they're all grown uh, from ages 21 to 30, and we, two of them are married and each have kids. We have three grandkids, and they all, the grandkids and their parents live near us, so that's wonderful. Um, and I serve as the lead pastor at, we're called Grace Church as well, um, in that's a suburb. great name. Yes, it is. In a suburb of Dallas uh, called Frisco, Texas, so we're up north um, of the city of Dallas. And um, we planted the church about 14 years ago, so... Uh, it's been a great, great experience. And this is my second time here. Yes. Uh, the worship conference that was held about four years ago or mm-hmm. something like that. If I, I don't recall exactly. But anyway, I was able to tag along with Bob and Jeff and come and worship with you guys on a Sunday morning then. Yeah. so It's great to have you back. It's great so, to be back. Thank you. If there was one particular thing we could pray for your church mm. at this time, what would that be? Narrow it down. Well, I've never had a sabbatical, but I've been on one for two and a half months, so I have no idea what's happening in our church. <laughs> so my prayers when I go back, it's not a mess. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure it's not. We have great leaders. I'm sure all is well. Uh, I think for us, we're really trying to penetrate more and more into our community. Um, with a gospel witness of Christ, and the Lord's opened some wonderful doors for us. So I think that we would just be faithful to um, not be complacent as a church, but as a people overall, that we would all seek to uh, be faithful in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, mm-hmm. and in our community to serve, Excellent. that we'd have more gospel opportunities to um, share the gospel with those around us. So just being, I think the prayer would be that we, our church body would be faithful where God has planted us, mm-hmm. uh, to live faithfully unto him, and to be ready to give an answer to anyone who would ask of the reason for the hope within us. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks for being here this morning. Yeah, thank you. Um, one of the things I love about Craig is he's such a, a, a joyful person. Every uh, time I've interacted with you, you always have a, a wonderful well, smile well. on your face. Uh, and I've heard you preach many times, uh, live and in podcasts. And so I appreciate the way oh, that you, you are faithful to God's word and uh, are going to preach to us in a way that is going to uh, affect our hearts and do us all good. We'll leave here, change people because of God's work through you this morning. Oh, thank Confident you, Confident about that. So thank you for thank being you. here. Uh, Can I pray for you and the church now? Should we pray together for Craig and Grace Church in Frisco? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, our partnership in Sovereign Grace and the family of churches that we are a part of. And we thank you that we can join together with like-minded brothers and sisters from across the world Mm. who love Jesus and have had their lives transformed through his gospel. We thank you that we have churches in Germany, but also in the U.S. and Texas. And we thank you for Grace Church in Frisco, and we thank you for Craig and Ginger for being here this morning with us. We thank you for this opportunity to strengthen our partnership in the gospel together. 
We thank you that uh, we find common ground in Jesus Christ yeah. and the mission together to make him known to the world that is lost and dying. And Lord, we pray for them in that uh, suburb of Dallas in Frisco. We pray that you would establish the work of your hand and give strength to their arms, Lord, in all that they turn their attention to. We pray that you would uh, fill each member of that church with uh, a fresh empowering of your Holy Spirit and with boldness to be witnesses in their community to make Christ known. Mm. We pray that, that they would live in such a way as individuals and as a corporate church family uh, that displays the power and reality and the truth of the gospel so that the community around them might see and know that they are your disciples. We pray that they would uh, worship you with their lips that they would always be ready with, a, mm. with an answer for the hope that they have, but also that they would live in such a way that magnifies the power and truth of the gospel. So, Lord, we ask you that you would give Craig and uh, the other leaders in his church uh, and in that church wisdom to lead your people with compassion and courage, oh. with tenderness uh, and with uh, a confidence in the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray that the church would grow both in number and in maturity as the saints are affected mm. by the gospel and as they pro uh, proclaim it to the community around them. And we pray for Craig as he preaches your word to us this morning now, Lord. We pray that we would hear your voice speaking through him to us. Mm. And we pray that we would... Uh, See something of your heart towards us as your people. And we pray that we would receive from you all that you have determined mm. to do this morning so that your word would not return void, but would accomplish all of its good purposes for our good and your glory. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank Go you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, open your Bibles, if you would, to um, Psalm 131, Psalm 131. And uh, you very much said what I w wanted to say in an introduction, uh, not about me, Nathan, but about you. <laughs> I, I was hoping to come and tell you all that I'm joyful. No, I wanted to say very much the same. In the opportunities I've had to interact with you over the years, I've felt the exact same thing. Uh, I've just really appreciated the, the joy and the encouragement. And that, that prayer was just typical of your pastoral heart, um, that you are uh, an encourager. And my, my own heart was just so blessed by that you would take that interest in our home and our church and uh, pray for us this morning and pray for me personally. So I value your friendship and am grateful for you and look out for opportunities to serve together again in the future. And uh, I've known Peter since, I don't know when we met, the late 90s maybe? The mid-90s. So Nathan was just a, a wee little lad back then, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I've known you for many years, and I've always uh, was so thankful for your, uh, your friendship as well. And actually, he was a source of when we said we're coming to the UK, what do we do? Uh, Ginger and I, uh, actually a few years ago, sat down and just picked your brain, and you gave us a lot of wonderful ideas, some of which we've acted upon in the past few weeks. So uh, thank you as well. It's just a joy to be with you uh, as a church. And I, I appreciate what Nathan said, that though we're very long distance apart uh, and somewhat culturally different maybe as well a bit, but uh, that we're united in the gospel, and that's what really matters, that we share a common mission in Christ. 
And so the fact is that though may we, you and I may meet for the first time today, we'll have far more in common than some of us would have with our own blood relatives uh, because we're in Christ, uh, unified together in a common mission and a common calling. So it's great to be, to be with you uh, today. Um, well, as I understand for you, uh, school has just let out or is letting out uh, right now that you're upon summer holidays, right? So there's probably some kids in the kids' club excited about that, I assume. And summer really is a, a change of seasons uh, for us, especially if you have kids when they uh, take a school uh, holiday, take a holiday from schools. And it's a time oftentimes that we're, we're told it's a time to relax and uh, it's a time to rest and it's a time to uh, take a holiday, take a break. And I can remember being a kid myself and having uh, the school holiday in the summer. And th- how that was just, I just have such fond memories of that. I don't know if you do or not, but I can remember just not having a care in the world. I'd kind of like to go back to that time. <laughs> just not having a care in the world and the days are long uh, in the summer and uh, playing outside and uh, just all, all the, uh, the joy of summer and the season of rest uh, that it is, the season of adventure if you're a, if you're a kid even. Um, but, but the reality is that even though that is the time of the season, uh, the season that we are in right now, you can't just turn the page of the calendar to this week and have rest in your soul. Uh, you can't just relax necessarily in your soul by taking a break, taking a holiday. Uh, you can't calm your soul just because it's summer time. The calm soul is a gift that is to be received from the Lord, and it's something that has to be cultivated, as we're going to see in the psalm that we're going to read this morning, that I believe the Lord wants us to actually cultivate Uh, intentionally cultivate a quiet soul. I don't know if you've thought about that, but a soul that is at rest. And it's for that reason that I wanted to look at Psalm 131, which is, of all the Psalms, one that focuses on this idea, um, both with uh, its beautiful language and really a compelling image that I hope we'll, that we'll walk out of here with of that of the quieted and calmed soul. So let's read together Psalm uh, 131. This is God's holy word to us. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and to marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. Cultivating a quiet soul is what David is talking about here. And, and one of the big ideas, I think, of the passage is that cultivating a quiet soul comes from knowing our place and knowing God's place and refusing to confuse the two. Knowing our place and knowing God's place and refusing to confuse the two. A few, what I'd like to do is just make a few observations through the text and then make some application at the end. This is a very simple word from a very simple psalm. Uh, And the first idea from this psalm is that the quiet soul is not proud. It is not proud. Look at the first verse. 
O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. Um, Now, both the New American Standard Bible and the New International Version translate this the same. And I'm reading from the ESV. I don't know if that's what what you're reading from. You're reading from that as well? Okay. Um, And they translate it slightly different, but they translate it identically, both of those translations. And they translate it this way. My heart is not proud, and my eyes are not haughty. My, My heart is not proud, and my eyes are not haughty. And so, they are saying it's, a, it's the same thing, but the language of the ESV, um, it, it's a little bit different in those interpretations. That's a, a kind of a Bible study hack. One thing that's very helpful when studying the Bible is to read a, a number of faithful translations together. And sometimes when several others, then your preferred translation translates something uh, similarly, that's a, that's a very helpful clue uh, as to the meaning of the text. And so, whereas the ESV says, my heart is not lifted up, the idea is that my heart is not proud. And when it says my eyes are not raised too high, uh, it, that's a metaphor in essence. My eyes are not haughty. That is, I am not uh, arrogant. I'm not, the, the, the lifted eyes means that I don't look down upon others. So my eyes aren't lifted above you to look down upon you is what he's saying. My heart's not lifted up. That is, I'm not full of myself. I'm not proud. So he says that the quiet soul is not proud. It's not focused on self. It's not consumed with self. The eyes are not haughty. That is, they aren't raised high in relation to others. David prays, I'm not consumed with myself with a quiet heart. When my heart is quiet, I'm not consumed with myself. And I'm not comparing myself to others sort of with my high eyes uh, measuring myself above others. Pride is always critiquing others, judging others, evaluating others. Pride is always the eyes lifted up and looking around and roaming and measuring ourselves, our, our uh, socioeconomic status, our appearance, uh, our health, uh, our, our family, our work, and always you know, evaluating, just this constant evaluation behind uh, the scenes, just am I smarter, am I better liked, am I uh, more wealthy, am I in the church, am I more godly than someone else? How do I measure against the other people uh, around me? Dare I share my thought in the home group? What, what will other people think about me? Am I as spiritual as the other people around the circle here? And so the, the high eyes don't mean that we're always just arrogant looking, arrogant looking down upon others. It, it means as well that we are proud, that we are consumed with ourselves. So we may measure ourselves against others and actually feel quite a bit less than others. But that is still motivated by the lifted up heart. It's about me. It's about my standing. It's measuring myself against others. Uh, it's still pride. Even the haughty eyes, even if we evaluate ourselves less because of our self-critique, there's still an envy and a jealousy that motivates that kind of an idea. The, the, the looking around and comparing and wanting to feel better about myself, even feeling discouraged because I don't measure up with my intelligence or my appearance or my friendships or my marriage or whatever, my children, whatever it is. That is still the heart that is lifted up, that is consumed with myself, and it is never quiet. The comparative heart is never quiet. The haughty eyes are never quiet. The lifted up heart is never quiet. It is a constant temptation to lift our hearts up 
in pride, to be consumed with ourselves. It is constant temptation to be focused on self and to lift our eyes up in comparison. And one of the greatest temptations to a quiet soul, I believe, just to make an application, is social media. It is one of the greatest areas of temptation to have the lifted up heart, to have the haughty eyes, to have the evaluation of how we measure up. Now, I'm not opposed to social media, and I don't mean, I want to be careful here because I have taken a break for a couple of months now, and I don't want to be the person that lost 20 pounds and is going to come in and tell everybody how, how you should lose weight. <laughs> or I don't want to be that person, you know, who's just been off social media and now is breathing fresh air and uh, floating around with ultimate joy and happiness. <laughs> However, uh, that has been the case. Um, uh, <laughs> but here's the deal. The, the heart that is lifted up, the proud heart and the comparative eyes, the, the eyes that look down and are measure. That's nothing new. David's talking about that, you know, uh, centuries, a millennia ago. But today there is something different because in today's culture we have something that, that humanity has never had before us. And that is a 24-hour access to a highly edited version of all of your friends' happiest moments in life. That has never happened in the history of humanity. You can constantly be barraged by your friends' best faces, their most romantic dates, their most memorable holiday highlights. That's starting right now, right? So it's going to start right now. All of the holiday highlights, while you're, you know, while maybe you didn't get to take much of a holiday this year, or you're not, and they are in some uh, wonderful life experience, and there you are uh, at your desk, at your job, uh, you know, wishing that you had the same experience. Their, their brightest moments, their workouts. I don't know if that's a thing over here, but, but in the U.S., people on social media post their workouts, like what they're doing. Like, I really care how much you ran today. I don't even want to know about that because I didn't run at all. Uh, I ate ice cream, and so I don't want to hear about the fact of how far you ran, and I don't want to see your exercise attire and your workout clothes and the whole thing. I don't want to see your Instagrammed best meal, uh, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Actually, I do, but, but, it's, uh, but that is the case. What are all of my friends doing? Who was invited to the party? And when I was growing up, maybe you heard about the party that you weren't invited to. Oh, everybody got together at Joe's house? Oh, well, they didn't ask me. Now, on social media, you see exactly who was there, exactly what you were doing, and realize, in comparison, you weren't a part of it. Studies are showing that millennials are experiencing deep depression and anxiety at an all-time high rates, and many uh, psychologists and such are saying that it's in large due, a, a trigger or a temptation to this is the comparison that they're exposed to all of the time on social media. I just attended, a, Ginger and I have just been coming away from a week of study uh, and we were at a conference at Oxford, and we had someone present on uh, Generation Z, uh, Generation Z, sorry. I said Generation Z last night. I said that, and Nathan was immensely impressed. I didn't say Z, I said Z. And he said, you're contextualizing. You're such a missionary, you know, here to the UK. 
So Generation Z, which is those born 1995 and, and up until now, and they're saying this generation, which has always had a uh, you know social media with them 24/7 since they that's all they've known as digital natives, that in the last eight years, teen suicide in the U.S. has doubled in the last eight years. Now it's not just because of uh, you know. Uh, Instagram or Snapchat or whatever, that, that's not it, the whole reason. But, but the point is that comparison, the lifting up, the measuring of oneself, uh, it, it doesn't create a quiet soul, it creates a noisy soul. And it tempts us to a noisy soul of anxiety and oftentimes uh, fear um, and these types of things. It's just one, one element um, and maybe you don't do that. Maybe you're on social media limited and you don't compare yourself all the time. But I would challenge you, how many selfies did you take before you posted just the right one? We're still, we're still tempted to this idea. Um, our focus is on ourselves. In a great book called uh, 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You, uh, Tony Ranke, uh, who has worked with Desiring God Ministries with John Piper, he's written a book about this. And he says the average person checks their smartphone 81,500 times per year. It's once every 4.3 minutes. That's the average person, once every 4.3 minutes. So it is, I just want to say, it is difficult to have a quiet heart when you are chained to a noisy device that is going off and all the time with something. Now, you, I'm, I have my Bible on mine right now. I'm reading to you from, so that's, that's a good usage, okay? So you, there's plenty of good usages for a phone, and, and social media certainly is not all bad. But the point I'm trying to make is, unlike any other generation, we are distracted by imagery and, and uh, news and this sort of thing in a way that is, is, can be very loud within our souls and can feed in to a heart that wants to be lifted up and feel good about ourselves towards others and a heart that is comparing with, comparing with haughty eyes, uh, measuring ourselves against others. And yet David says, I'm not full of myself and I'm not looking towards others as my point of comparison so that I'm looking down with haughty, uplifted eyes. Number two, he's, the quiet soul is not presumptuous, he says. It's not presumptuous. It, the, the, the quiet soul recognizes our own limits. It, it, it is knowing my place before God, knowing God's place. It is not looking in relation to others, but it is looking in my relationship to God and allowing that to define uh, my life. This is exactly what the second part of verse 1 says. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Now, we need to note this is, not, uh, this is the king saying this. David is not saying, I live an unambitious life. I live an uninvolved life. You know, I don't think of anything too great because I don't have many responsibilities. No, he is arguably the most responsible person. He had more responsibilities. He had more pressures than any of us would know as the, the king leading God's people. 
So he had significant pressure and responsibility. So it's amazing thinking of who he is, that he is writing of a quiet soul, and in a minute, comparing himself to a, a weaned child. Uh, so, but he's saying, I'm not presumptuous. Even though I am given the most significant responsibility on the planet at this time to be the king of God's people, Israel, even though that is the case, I know my place. And I do not occupy myself with things that are too great and are too marvelous for me. He is advocating that we know the boundaries God has set for each of us. He's he's advocating that things that are too great and too marvelous, these are the things that apply to God ultimately. And he's saying, I know what is God's business and what is my business, and I don't seek to cross that line into God's responsibility and God's business and somehow take that upon myself. Because when you do, your soul is no longer calm and quiet. Your soul is distraught. Your soul is distraught. There is a limit to where our heart and mind should go. And we should not pursue, which I believe is what David is saying, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. He's not seeking to know the unknowable or control the uncontrollable. I love Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. There are secret things And there are revealed things, Deuteronomy says. Secret things belong to the Lord. The revealed things are for us to pursue and learn and to know through God's God's word. But it is when we seek to know what is unknowable that we cross a line into uh, seeking to be like God. And the fact is there are just things that we will not know and will not know understand why God does what he does, why God allows what he allows in so many circumstances. And when we seek to cross that line, we are in the area of presumption. And yet, I believe what David is saying here is that when we leave the things that are unknowable to God, it leads to a quiet soul. When we trust God with what is not revealed to us, this is the measure of a quiet soul. David Pallison, who Uh, actually led um, the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation in Philadelphia. He just died, I think about two months ago or so, recently just passed away. Uh, But he wrote uh, on this psalm that we're reading right now, this is what he wrote about this psalm. He said, most of the noise in our souls is generated by trying to control the uncontrollable. I'm going to read that again. I think it's good. Most of the noise in our souls is generated by trying to control the uncontrollable. We cannot know why certain people do what they do or don't do what we wish they would. We don't know why certain circumstances turn out the way that they have. And when we try to control those people and circumstances, we find a noisy soul that shouts to us with worry, anxiety, burden, and fear. And David says, I just don't go there. I can't figure it all. I mean, think about David, how many unanswered questions. He's anointed king, and the present king is throwing spears at him, trying to kill him. You'd have to think he's saying, if he crosses the line to the unknowable, God, this makes no sense. 
I've been anointed king, and the current king is, is about to kill me, and he's getting close. I mean, David, whose own son, rises up against him and seeks to take the kingdom from him. God, how is this? You've called me to lead your people and my own family. That's unexplainable. He would have never received explanation for these kinds of things, but he must have just trusted the Lord, humbly respecting the barrier between the eternal God and the finite me. One of the most foundational realities of of the Bible, foundational truths, is that there is but one God, and you are not him. It is one of the most foundational truths that there is this infinite gap between us and between God. So I want to ask you this morning, what questions do you need to let go to the Lord to have a quiet soul? Why did this happen to me? Maybe it's the question, why did she die? The question, why am I not married? Why can I not land the job that I want? Not that that circumstance won't change, but why haven't I been able to? Why is my child not a believer? Why won't my husband or my wife change in the way I want? Why am I not healed? I mean, I never get an answer to that question. Why am I not healed? Why doesn't God answer my prayer? doesn't mean we don't continue to pray. We do continue to ask and seek and knock. But the answers of God are not always clear to us. And when we demand explanation from God for certain things that are unknowable, it creates a restlessness in the soul, which David contrasts himself with this sort of restlessness. There are answers that God doesn't supply. And I think the next point here from the text is that the quiet soul is not restless. It is not proud. It is not presumptuous. But it is not restless. Seeking to go to the secret place and know the secret things of God and his sovereign will creates a restlessness. But look at this beautiful picture. And this is the image I think the Lord from this text would have us to carry out. I mean, here is David, a warrior, the slayer of Goliath, the champion, the man of Uh, tremendous leadership and power. And he says, you know what I'm really like? In my soul, what I am like, here's the picture. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Verse 2, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. It might be surprising to you to see David's name on this psalm, if you know David. That's not the kind of guy I think of David as a, you know, a rough and tumble. <clears throat> he, is, uh, he is a strong, courageous, enduring. I didn't think of a weaned child with its mother, but he says, that's my soul. All this other stuff is going on, but the Lord has given me, actually, the Lord, it is a gift of the Lord, but he has cultivated. I have calmed. I have quieted my soul. It's a, it's a powerful picture that's, too, that's foreign to so many of us so much of the time, is it not? Trimper Longman, who's an Old Testament scholar, this is what he writes of this. He says, a weaned child can rest comfortably in its mother's arms, while a baby who is not yet weaned is fussy and restless. Here the psalmist provides a picture image of the kind of trusting confidence that he is now experiencing. 
So the weaned child is in the lap of the mother, not restless being near the mother's breast, hungry, but at rest. That's the picture. He's saying he has a heart that is not restless, but is at rest. And it's a cooperative process with the Lord, which we'll see in just a second. It's it, From God's side, this is the work of the Holy Spirit that brings us to greater confidence in God and His Word. From our side, it's the process of turning to God and turning away from the endless questioning, the endless comparing, the endless, well, the endless noise that goes on in our heads, and rather leaving it to the Lord, telling our souls to quiet and to listen to God. Lloyd, Dr. Lloyd-Jones is famously quoted. I've heard this repeated quite a bit, but he said once, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? It is telling our restless souls that God is good. It is telling our restless souls that he is in control, that he is faithful, that we do not see, but he does, that we do not understand, but he does, that it appears random and chaotic, the events of our lives to us, but that to him there is a sovereign plan that is always acting for the good of his people and for his own glory. It is telling our souls these types of truths that quiet us rather than listening to our souls, looking around and being, you know, uh, sort of compelled by all of these other thoughts and ideas. It is asking for his peace and his rest to replace our restless thoughts. It is, it is putting the pause button on the preoccupation with why, 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 and looking to him instead. And the last idea from this text in verse 3 is that the quiet soul hopes in the Lord. It is not proud, it is not presumptuous, it is not restless, but proactively it hopes in the Lord. Verse 3, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. He doesn't really offer any kind of detailed, complicated process. It's, it's rather simple. Uh, it's like a weaned child trusts and rests. Some have pointed out that this psalm has a connection to the previous psalm. Now, actually, all of these psalms in this section uh, are connected because it's within the song of ascents. And these were songs that were sung by the people of God as they traveled for, to one of the three annual pilgrimages a year. So they, the people would gather in Jerusalem uh, three times a year for an annual pilgrimage worship, uh, you know, like we would have a family camp, maybe something like that. <clears throat> and they would, uh, they would sing or recite this group of psalms along the way. Now, I don't know that they went in this order or not, but it's certainly possible that the psalm that we have been studied, studying would have been sung just after the psalm right before it. Because in the psalm before it, we get a little bit more specific glance into this hope of the Lord. So verse 3 again that we just read, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. But look at verse 7 in the previous psalm, Psalm 130, verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord. Same line, the psalm that would have been sung perhaps right before it. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For, here's the reason, with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. From all his. So as they're approaching Jerusalem for a week of 
worship and sacrifice and these uh, uh, celebration. They are singing hope in the Lord, hope in the Lord. We're trusting in him. Our soul is at rest. Why? Because he will, as the previous psalm says, he, there is steadfast love. There is plentiful redemption. He will redeem us from all of our sins. The, the focus of this sort of trust and hope in the Lord is his steadfast love. The reason David is saying with these verses together that I can have a soul at rest, the reason I can have that <clears throat> is because of the unchanging constant, faithful, covenant love of God. The steadfast love of God is a word which means covenant faithfulness. It means that even though I look out, and someone is certainly attacking me, is David's experience, even though I look out and I am facing difficulty physically, emotionally, spiritually, even though I look out and my circumstances are not what I would have wanted and they're changing, the one constant above it all and under it all is this love of God for me which secures me. It's that he will never give up on me. It's that he will never let me go. It's that he is using everything in my life for my good and for his glory. This is the steadfast love that quiets the soul when we remember something that they could have only imagined, what Christ has done for us. He says he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities, Psalm 130, verse 8. You know, hope in the Lord, for he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And this is exactly what God has done in Christ. He has come and he has taken our sin upon himself. He has died in our place. He has done what we never could do for ourselves. You talk about a noisy soul, the noisiest concern of the human soul should be, how can I, a sinful person, be right with the holy God of the universe? And God has silenced that noise in Christ Jesus by giving his life for us and dying for us. And not only that, but opening our eyes to it, giving us faith, giving us his Holy Spirit, giving us new life. Talk about a quiet soul. The message of Christianity is you cannot be good enough to be accepted by God. You cannot be religious enough, holy enough, obedient enough. You cannot do anything to be accepted by God, but he accepts you based on what Christ has done for you. Talk about a quiet soul. The message of the gospel is that knowing God is based entirely on what he has done for you and not what you have done for him or could do for him or would ever do for him. It is based entirely upon his grace. It is this truth that he will redeem Israel from all of his iniquities, that our hope is in the Lord from this time and forevermore, because there is unchanging grace towards us in God. You can only be accepted by receiving what Jesus did for you, and grace always brings rest, because it says you cannot work. The, the very message of grace is the message of rest. When Christ comes and brings salvation, the New Testament refers to it as Sabbath rest. It is a ceasing of our own works. It is a ceasing of what we are to do and, and receiving what he has done for us. So it's not some kind of Eastern thought, just empty your mind and have a calm soul. I don't know when I began this message using some of that language if you were nervous thinking I was going that way. It's not just empty your mind and get a quiet soul. 
It is, look at what God has done in Jesus Christ. Look at his faithful love to you. Rest in the truth that not only has he saved you solely by his own grace, but he will sustain you by his grace. It says, for now and forevermore is verse 3. He will continue. It is looking in Christ. It is a calm soul rooted in the work of Jesus. It is a rest rooted in the fact that we now live in Sabbath rest for the work has been done for us in Jesus Christ. It is by looking to the cross and resurrection that we can live with a calm soul. This is why Paul writes in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The argument is this, if God has taken care of your greatest need already, you can trust that he will take care of everything else. That is good news for tormented, noisy burdened, heavy souls, which we all have from time to time. The culture says it's a time to rest. It's a time to be free. It's a time for a holiday. It's summer. And yet we all know that there's nothing magical about the change of seasons. Real rest comes. Take a holiday. Have a break. Wonderful. But real rest in the soul comes when we tell our souls the good news that I'm telling you right now. We can rest in goodness. We can cultivate a quiet soul. We have our place. He has his. And that is the good news. So what is the noise in your soul that's muting the truth of the gospel today? What is the noise in your soul that is replacing? Is it that unanswered question? Is it that self-evaluation? Is that is it that wanting to achieve something to be accepted and loved and respected? Is it, is it reaching some status? Is it you know, something that you must do to feel okay about you? What, what is it today? Where are you fearful? Where are you restless and agitated? What keeps you up at night? When you listen to yourself, quoting Lloyd-Jones, when you listen to yourself, instead of talking to yourself, when you listen to yourself, what do you hear? What do you hear? Are you hearing this news? Are you hearing the good news? Or are you hearing the work, perform, measure up? It's not working out as you planned. It's not going as you scripted it. It's a mess. Is that what you're hearing? Are you hearing you can rest in him, put your hope in him? I'm going to leave you very briefly with a couple of closing applications. Here's the first one, very simple. Believe that a calm soul is God's design for you. Some of us have so much noise and distraction and anxiety and fear, and our, our minds never shut off um, from all that we have to do, these to-do lists and all of this. Some of us have so much going on in our soul that we don't even think what I'm talking about is possible. We don't even think it's possible to have a quiet soul. I've never had that. I don't know what that's like. Now I'm worried that I've never had that. Now I'm anxious. Now I'm really restless. I'm really restless because I can't rest. You ever try to sleep and you can't sleep at night and you keep looking at the clock going, oh no, I've only got this much time to sleep and I've got to get up and, you just, and it's self-defeating. So I don't mean to do that to you today. I don't mean to say, hey, you don't have a quiet soul. What's wrong with you? Oh no, I don't, I don't mean that. But I want to give you faith that Fruit of, the fa fruit of faith in the gospel is not a perfectly quiet soul. We're sinful. 
But it should mean that there are seasons that we, we know this experience, and we know this experience in an increasing way. That growing in Christ means growing trust and growing rest. It does not mean an easier life. But it does mean an increasing rest in him. So ask God, number two, ask God to help you turn from pride and presumption. Those, that's what we saw in the first two verses. My heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. Where is comparison? Where is this kind of pride? Where is this kind of how do I measure up? Where is that creating noise? And secondly, presumption. I do not occupy with myself with things too great and too marvelous. Are, there, are, there, are you trying to cross the line to know the unknowable, to control the uncontrollable? What do you need to give to the Lord there? So that, that's, it is his plan. Ask the Lord to reveal anything along those lines to you. And then I would say equip yourself with some truth from Scripture that can help. So this is a great psalm to memorize. Maybe this would be a great summer holiday goal uh, to memorize. Psalm 131, it's only three verses. It would be a lot better to listen to this than to listen to uh, any of the anxieties that are barking like a dog in our ears, you know. It would be much better to listen to this. Um, or I just read to you Romans 8.32. That's a great verse. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not freely give us, uh, grant us all things? Something like that. So to have some kind of truth so that you're feeding yourself with that kind of something on the faithfulness. It depends on what the noise is, but something on the faithfulness of God. If you find yourself always trying to measure up something about the grace of God that you're accepted in Christ before him based on the work of Jesus. So, you know, arm yourself with some truth that you can tell yourself. And then I would say seek to quiet yourself in the presence of God. So the quiet, I believe you can have a quiet heart when life is busy, for sure. David would have known that. David wasn't just lounging around. Um, but having said that, we also need times where we are quiet. Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller was once asked, I, I think this was actually in a Twitter Q&A, so it's kind of funny that it was a social media Q&A, but he was asked, why do you think young Christians today, young Christian adults, struggle most deeply with God and a personal reality of God in their lives? He said, noise and distraction. It's easier to tweet than to pray. And I think he said that on Twitter, which is hilarious. But uh, it's easier to do. So it, it, it's, it's distraction. It's not just turning everything off. So I'm not saying that everything has to be turned off to have a quiet soul, because we have to, I believe God can grant a quiet soul in chaos at work or home. But there are times we need to turn the, turn the music off, close the laptop shut the phone off or keep it in the other room where we have no internet access, no email, no TV, no social media. There are times we need to turn it all off and wait on the Lord. And if you have the habit of having your phone or your computer or whatever online distraction with you during your time of devotion, I would suggest doing an experiment where you take a week and you take all of the electronics and put them in another room and it's just you and your Bible, just you and paper and see, see if there's not a change. It, now, maybe you don't do that, but if you do that, like I do, it, just separate yourself from technology uh, when you are, uh, you know, seeking to be uh, quiet before the Lord. I don't know what it might mean for you. For you, maybe, it, maybe you could take a day away 
Husbands, if, you're, if, you're wife, if you have young kids, one of the greatest gifts you might be able to give is to say, I've got the kids, and you go away for the day for spiritual refreshing. Take a Bible and a journal or some worship music or a book you're reading, I don't know, and, uh, and get away somewhere where you could just be quiet and reflect. Some of us haven't done that in years. And it's just constant go, constant noise, constant activity. So maybe it's something like that. Sometimes we don't even realize how noisy our soul is until we get into the quiet. Maybe God would call you to go on a few days, <clears throat> some kind of a media fast, something, whatever the noise is for you. Um, I don't know what it would be. I can't prescribe that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't attempt to prescribe that. But a quiet soul, uh, something that can help us is a quiet environment. Um, and it's when we can cultivate that in a quiet environment, then we're stronger to interact in a noisy environment and maintain that sense of Scripture, that sense of truth, that sense of the Holy Spirit speaking God's truth to us. And the very last idea is this. Ask for help. If this is a problem for you, if you are overwhelmed with anxiety and fear, if your mind never shuts down, uh, if you are addicted to social media or comparison, if you're trapped in presumption, you cannot get past the why question, tell that to someone and ask for Invite someone to pray for you and to talk with you and to listen to you and to come alongside you and, and to bear your burden. We're not meant to walk this alone. The quiet soul, we can help one another cultivate a quiet soul. A, a, a quiet soul is confidence in the Lord. And sometimes I need someone else to speak confidence in the Lord to me when I'm confused and I don't see it. I need someone to remind me of the faithfulness of God and assure me that he is good. To, to tell me what I already know, but forget and don't believe so often. Uh, so share with someone else and invite them into the space between your ears. What runs up there in that brain of yours all the time? What's running up there? Open that up and let someone see that. Maybe it's a temptation that, that plagues you, greed or lust, or maybe it's something that's just always as noisy. Open that up and ask for someone to pray with you and pray for you and to walk alongside you that you together might experience the quietness of the Lord. And have a great holiday as well this summer. So <laughs> let me pray for you. Lord, in this moment of quiet, we give you the noise. We cast our cares on you, for you care for us. We intentionally review the gospel and celebrate our acceptance in you, not measured against anyone else, but freely receiving the grace of God to cleanse us and to make us your children. Thank you for the status of being your children, your beloved. We receive that today, Lord. For those of us who are just consumed with various worries and pressures and burdens, even the kind of bitterness that's come from asking the why question in a demanding way, Lord. We, we humble ourselves from presumption and we say, the secret things belong to you and, and we want to, by, by your power, trust you today. I pray that you would help people cast over burdens to you today that weigh on them, historic burdens of unanswered questions. Would you break through with the miracle of grace to cast those burdens upon you today? that we might know a rest in our souls, 
like a weaned child in the lap of its mom. Lord, what a beautiful picture. We pray that we would know that kind of freedom. So Lord, would you move in the room and would you act in hearts? Many of us in the room may know one another. We don't even know what another person carries in secret, Lord, but you do. Would you carry the secrets of our hearts today? Give us grace to cast them on you. Grant us repentance from pride. Grant us repentance from presumption. Grant us confidence and hope in the gospel that we may know the calm and quieted soul. Grant us grace to cultivate this for your glory that we might serve others and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.